Hey, 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 good morning, good afternoon, good evening world. My name is Reverend Adrian L. Robinson II, a.k.a. Rev Rob, a.k.a. Pastor Rob, a.k.a. whatever you want to call me, just as long as it's godly. Amen? Friends, this is Deeper in the Word, the show where we give you the real about Scripture with people who actually know and understand it so that you can get a better grasp of what certain things in the Bible mean and how they relate to your life and experience and how you can apply something that was written so long ago to what you are going through right now. What's up, y'all? Welcome back to another fun-filled, fantabulous episode of this little old podcast we call Deeper in the Word. I've truly missed y'all. I know it's been a while since we've done a show. If you look back, it's been a couple of weeks, been few, several weeks, in fact. Um, but there's been a lot going on. You know, me and my family moved and we went on vacation and I celebrated a birthday and all type of good stuff. So I'm feeling re-energized and refreshed and ready to get back to talking about the Word of God. And so technically, I don't like dating you know, our show by saying things that will determine when it was recorded. But technically, this is the first show of the month for us. And it's right in time to honor Black History Month. So for that reason, my friends, today's show is a very different type of show from what we usually do here at Deeper in the Word. Because today we're going to be celebrating Black History Month in our own special way as we speak from an episode which we have entitled Forsaken Influence. Forsaken Influence. And the subject of today's show, my friends, relates to a discussion about the hidden contributions of Africa and Africans black people in and to the Bible. And we say that these contributions are hidden because most people don't know about these contributions. And quite honestly, they don't know because they haven't been told about these contributions. In other words, there has not been a premium placed upon the importance of the influence that Africa has had on the Bible and on Christianity, especially by those in Western scholarship, or rather by biblical scholars in the Western Hemisphere, many of whom, let's just keep it real, are white. And I wouldn't say that this is so much a controversial topic as it is a somewhat divisive one. Because as I just said, While there are many folks out there who haven't been told about these contributions, there are also those who have deliberately tried to suppress the knowledge and information about these contributions for whatever reasons. And that could be a whole nother show in and of itself. Maybe we'll do that one day, maybe not. But our goal during this episode, my friends, is to educate you. In other words, we want to shatter 
the many myths that are associated with the roles of Africa and Africans or black people in the Bible. And hopefully in the process, we want to give you more clarity on why these contributions are so important, not just to black people worldwide, but to all people worldwide. Because as we like to say, black history is everyone's history. Amen. And furthermore, look, let's just keep it a whole hundred here. Okay. There are far too many people in this community, the African-American community, because I'm black and I live in America. There are far too many people in the African-American community who believe in false ideologies when it comes to having faith in Christ. I mean, you've heard them all before, right? Heard them all before. You've heard them, right? They call it, oh, that's the white man's religion. Or they, they mock our Lord and Savior by saying, oh, you worship white baby Jesus and all of that other type of nonsense, right? And yes, I called it nonsense because that's exactly what it is. Those positions are steeped in ignorance, my friends, meaning people lack the proper knowledge of the truth in order to make the most informed decision possible or to reach the most logical conclusions possible. And sometimes people just ignorant because they don't know no better. Okay, they ain't got no home training. But a lot of times, people hear somebody else say something and it sounds good to them. So they start to adopt it as their own worldview. Like they don't look into it and do the research of it themselves. They hear it and it sounds good. So they say, huh, that sounds plausible. And then they start promoting it as if they've done research on it or that they know a lot about it. When the reality is they just got that from somebody else and it sounded good to them. And honestly, this is the problem that I have with biblical scholarship in general, especially things like textual criticism and the documentary hypothesis and all of that. But again, that's a whole nother show in and of itself. And you do not. Want to get me started on that, okay? But anyway, because of this lack of proper knowledge of the truth, many non-believers and in the black community especially fail to grasp the significance of Africa's contributions toward Christianity, of black people's contributions toward the growth and expansion of Christianity in the world. And even towards an acknowledgement or belief in Yahweh during the Old Testament days, dating back thousands upon thousands of years. Black people and African people been all up and through the Bible and Christianity for a long time. And this lack of truth leads to a skewered perception of what black people's history is with Christianity and the Bible. Because for many, they trace the origins of black people's involvement in Christianity back to slavery, American slavery. And that's where it stops. And that ain't right. Or from the standpoint of Christianity in Africa and African, Africans in the Bible, they believe that the faith didn't come to the continent 
until European missionaries came there and, quote, civilized the savage natives. You've heard that before, right? With the gospel, civilized them with the gospel in the late 15th century when, you know, uh, Spanish and Dutch missionaries came to Africa, sub-Saharan Africa. But y'all, these ideologies are woefully inaccurate and completely untrue. And as we all know, my friends, a people who don't know their history are doomed to repeat it. Because truly, the contributions of black people to biblical history have resulted in a forsaken influence. Ah, there it is. That's our show title. In other words, our influence in Christianity has been left behind in the past, whether by deliberate means or natural ones. And it's contributed to a skewered self-identity of black people when it comes to being Christians. And a people without an identity truly lack what's necessary to grow and mature collectively. When people don't know who they are, it's hard for them to thrive as a people, right? Look, don't just take my word for it. Look at the facts. During the 1960s, the black church was the pillar of the community. And by the way, y'all, for a more comprehensive background on this topic, I strongly encourage all of you to go watch the very excellent documentary entitled The Black Church. This is our story. This is our song. And it's narrated by noted scholar Henry Louis Gates Jr. And it originally aired on PBS Public Broadcasting. And you can now watch it on Amazon Prime Video. It gives you the entire history of the black church in America. Completely fascinating. From its origins all the way up to today. An amazing documentary. I truly recommend you go watch it. But historically, y'all, the church was a place not only to grow and evolve spiritually, but also a place where people would advocate for political and social change. The Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. is a prime example of this type of former advocacy. Not only was he a preacher in the church, he was in the community and in the public eye fighting for social change and social justice. Nowadays, though, there's a growing apathy toward the church in general, but particularly toward the church in the black community, where it once served as a power base for the community. Nowadays, its power and its influence has been muted or outright negated, and people make fun of it and, and poke fun at it. And this is reflected in the current church attendance statistics. The number of people regularly attending church overall is declining in America, especially within the black community. And it's a trend that's only accelerated since the pandemic and particularly amongst young people who were truly the backbone of the civil rights movement. I mean, let's just keep it real. Any movement for change throughout human history is always undergirded by the youth. It's always the young people that's out there making it happen. Think about the Southern, um, the, the SNCC back in, I, I forgot what that stands for, 
But that was with Stokely Carmichael back in the 60s. All young people making it happen. If you watch that documentary I mentioned, you'll see nothing but young people at the forefront of the church history and the, the black church. And for a modern perspective, look no further than what's going on in Iran right now with all the young people being fed up with the oppressive regime that is uh, the Muslim faith there and they're fighting back and striking back and stepping out in Christian faith. And if you want to hear more about that, we encourage you to go back and listen to the several episodes that we've done with that and the folks that we've interviewed related to that topic. Just go look in the Deeper in the Word catalog, okay? But a recent report, in fact, by the Pew Research Center, Pew, 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 <laughs> indicated that only three out of 10 adults in Generation Z, that's people ages 18 to 23, at the time that they took the survey, and a similar number of millennials, that's people aged 24 to 39, three out of 10 attend religious services at a black congregation regularly. That's 30%. And that compares with almost half of the baby boomers people ages 56 to 74, and half of black adults in the silent generation and older, that's those born before 1946, regularly going to church. In other words, the younger these generations get, the less likely they are to go to church. These are the numbers. Now, let me clarify something here, y'all. When I refer to the quote, black church, I'm really speaking about the black church here in America because the reality is black Christians in Africa are collectively far less apathetic about the things of Christ. They care more about the Bible. They care more about their salvation. And I'm not making a generalization. Again, look to the numbers. As of 2020, Christians formed 49% of the continent of Africa's population with Muslims forming 42%. That's over half the continent being followers of Christ, y'all. And you can't tell me any different because I've seen it for myself. As the lead pastor for Bedevilent Faith Ministries, all the ministries we work with and who reach out to us, for the most part, while we have ministries in India and Pakistan, the majority of them are in Africa. And they love the Lord and they have a fervor and a passion for the things of Christ that is virtually non-existent in most black communities in America. That is a fact. If you don't like it, I'm sorry, but that's a fact. Okay. Furthermore, that same Pew Research Center report that I referenced previously, it found that black Americans who were born in the United States are less religiously engaged and less socially conservative than immigrants from Africa. As almost 8 out of 10 black Americans who were born in sub-Saharan Africa attend religious services at least yearly compared with 6 out of 10 U.S.-born black Americans who do so. In other words, when Africans immigrate to this country, 80% of them keep their faith, and keep going to church. Meanwhile, black people born here in America, only 60% of them do that. So as you can see, it's critically important for everybody 
to know the real history of black people's contributions to the faith so that we're all informed and not so easily duped by misinformation and agendas. And so that we collectively can find our self-worth and our self-value knowing that we've been contributing to the faith for a long time, longer than most people would have you believe. So what is the basis for us to make this forsaken influence claim? How black people had this made these contributions to the Bible? Well, you're going to find out precisely what that is. Once you join us after we come back from the break, y'all, stick around. Hey, y'all, check out the best faith-based radio station in the world. BMC Radio, where we're reaching the unreachable. BMC Radio promotes a wide variety of gospel, dance mix, and old-school music to go along with a healthy mix of faith-based messages and talk shows geared towards strengthening your daily walk with Christ. We're committed to providing our growing global audience with well-rounded programming that promotes the gospel while also invoking fresh new approaches to what 21st century evangelism is truly about. Just go to www.bmcchristianradio.com to listen live every day, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And you can have your own show and advertise your business on BMC Radio for absolutely free, free, free. And as I always like to say, who doesn't love something that costs free 99? Again, simply go to www.bmcchristianradio.com and click on the menu for more information. We invite you to join us every day at BMC Radio, where we're reaching the unreachable. Hey everybody, CC Eccles here with the One Life Podcast. Join me every Monday at 7 p.m. as we talk about everything that pertains to life. If you need a little encouragement or a little inspiration, then meet me right here every Monday at 7 p.m. You can listen on Google, Apple, Spotify, Breaker, and iHeartRadio. You'll be so happy you tuned in. Ciao, Bella. Hey, hey, welcome back to Deeper in the Word, deeper and deeper. Listen, as a reminder, you can subscribe and listen to us on Spotify, Anchor, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Radio Public, Pocket Casts, Overcast, on Apple Podcasts, in the iTunes Store, on iHeartRadio, on Amazon Music, and on the Audible app. Also, don't forget to email us at info at benevolentfaithministries.org. Send us your questions and comments for the show. And if there's anything in this show that you disagree with, anything you want more information about, anything you want proof about, email us. We'll be happy to send it to you. Okay? And remember, we want you to join us every Tuesday night, 7 Eastern, 6 Central, 4 Pacific time for our online church services. Just go to benevolentfaithministries.online.church and create a screen nickname so you can chat along with us 
during the service. Amen. But today, y'all, today we have a special show outside the norm of what we normally do in celebration of Black History Month. And it is entitled Forsaken Influence. And we're talking about the hidden or forsaken contributions of Africa and Africans or black people in and to the Bible. Now look, the idea of Africa and Africans or black people in the Bible, it's an extensive one. And if we truly conducted a comprehensive study of this subject, y'all, this show will be six hours long, okay? Y'all know we ain't got time like that. And quite honestly, I've come to learn <laughs> as being a seminary student and a preacher of the gospel that you go longer than 30, 35, 40 minutes, you're going to lose people's attention, okay? And that's why we've kind of made a commitment to try to shorten this show so it's not so long. Because people, they lose attention quick. But we ain't got time to do an in-depth analysis of all the ways that Africa and black people have contributed to the Bible and to Christianity. So instead, we want to do as involved of a summary as we can in this little bit of time that we have together. And again, if you have more questions, you want more information, anything like that, email us, info at benevolentfaithministries.org. We'll be happy to speak with you and send you more information. So bear with us, okay? We're just going to scratch the surface here. And so let's start this discussion off by talking about perceptions, meaning we want to look historically at what the line of thinking has been with respect to African involvement in and contributions to Christianity. In other words, we want to probe what has been the prevailing sensibility in this regard. Now, as we said, most people have this perception that it was European missionaries who first brought Christianity to Africa around the late 15th century, or, you know, that's in the 1400s. But that was in sub-Saharan Africa, down in the middle, down under the Sahara, okay, and all those countries. When the reality is, Christianity first arrived in North Africa in the first or early second century AD. Those early Christian communities in North Africa were in fact among the earliest in the entire world. Now, how Christianity actually got to Africa that early is still unknown. And there are a lot of theories that suggest that the faith was first brought from Jerusalem to Alexandria, which is the second largest city in Egypt and the largest city on the Mediterranean coast by the Apostle Mark in the year 60 AD. That would be less than 30 years after Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension. In other words, Christianity, Christianity possibly arrived in Africa earlier than, but no later than, at the same time as it arrived in Northern Europe. Don't let them fool you, oh no. But then, from Alexandria, in Egypt, it spread out to places like Ethiopia, which is over 2,100 miles to the east of Egypt. Remember now, this is back when it wasn't so easy to travel such a long distance. That is a long way to travel when you ain't got no car 
and your fastest mode of transportation is a camel, okay? Put another way, that's about as far as it is to travel from New York to LA. Imagine riding from New York to LA on a camel. <laughs> you feel me? You know how long that would take you and how arduous of a journey that would be? And yet, Christianity was able to spread from one area to another over such a large expanse of land. Now, to put this in a different perspective, there was an Ethiopian king named King Izana, E-Z-A, uh, excuse me, E-Z-A-N-A. He made Christianity his kingdom's official religion in the fourth century AD. That's the 300s. Why is that significant? Because that corresponds to when Roman Emperor Constantine I made Christianity the official religion of the Roman Empire, which he did in the year 312. Like I said before, Christianity arrived in Africa either earlier than or at the same time as it got to Northern Europe. Don't let them fool you. Now, we know that a large majority of Africa eventually turned Muslim and a large majority of it is still Muslim. But that didn't happen until the seventh century in the 600s, approximately 200 years after Christianity had firmly established itself on the continent. And even then, Christianity was still the religion of choice of the Ethiopian Empire and in various sections of Northern Africa. And you can, you can email us or you can do the research yourself about Coptic, C-O-P-T-I-C, Christianity. That's the version that Ethiopians practice. They have an entirely different canon. Our biblical canon consists of 66 books. Theirs is more than that and includes books we don't have, including the Book of Enoch. And again, we encourage you to look this stuff up for yourself, research it for yourself. If you've got questions, email us. We'll be happy to talk to you about it. We don't have time to go into it, but this has been in existence for a long time. And recent archaeological discoveries have found a church in Ethiopia that dates back to the fourth century. Again, around that time that Constantine first made Christianity the official religion of the Roman Empire. They've literally found a church that dates back that far. There's part of your proof. So then, of course, there's also what we call the Kush effect. C-U-S-H. And no, we're not talking about that kind of Kush, people. Okay, get your mind right here. We're talking about the real Kush, as in the legendary African nation, not that other puff puff stuff, okay? And essentially, the Kush effect relates to how the Bible is filled with references to and special promises for this particular group of African people. Now, it was also known as the Kushite Empire, or just call it Kush. But it was an ancient kingdom in Nubia, a country in Africa, that was centered along the Nile Valley in what is now northern Sudan and southern Egypt. And at one time, y'all, Kush was a mighty African empire on the level of Rome. They were like the African version of Rome. In fact, the region of Nubia 
was an early cradle of civilization, producing several multifaceted societies who are renowned for creating extensive trade routes that provided ivory and other luxurious goods like gold and silver and all that stuff to the rest of the then known world. In other words, they were highly civilized and educated and scholarly and all of that was going on in Africa a long, 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 long time ago and in many instances before it was going on in many European countries. Kush was also known for conquering Egypt during its 25th dynasty and having an active influence on Egyptian culture. And uh, much like many of these other items we're talking about today, again, we encourage you all to go and do your own more extensive research on this powerful African empire. Kush had it going on. We're talking about Black History Month and black people having a sense of self-esteem and self-worth self-worth, because they have a history that's steeped in richness of education and culture and uh, finance and trade and all of these things that we were never told about in school in America. All we were told was, oh, y'all were slaves and then we saved y'all and now y'all part of America. When the reality is, there is a rich, rich history dating back many hundreds of centuries involving black people in the Bible. Now, real quick, something we need to understand is that biblical scholars make the point that Cush is sometimes used generally to refer to all of Africa. And sometimes it's used to refer to all of Africa except for Egypt. And sometimes it's even used to refer to Ethiopia. But for our purposes, we're talking about ancient Nubia, that country that we're describing here that had the influence on Egypt and was so monumental in its influence on the world with respect to trade and uh, all those things. But regardless, Cush has many biblical references that show its early involvement with the Israelites and their worship of God, and particularly how the ancient world viewed Cush and the Cushites or the people from Cush. And you can look these all up for yourself again, but here's a brief summary. Go look at Psalm chapter 68, verse 31, where it says that, quote, Cush shall reach out its arms to God. You know, the early church in the time of Jesus, they loved this promise from Psalm 68, 31, because they considered Cush to be a metaphor for the Gentile bride of Christ. The Psalms also predicted that one day people would recognize the spirituality of the Cushites and declare that they had been born anew in Zion. You can read about that in Psalm 87 verses 3 to 6. Then you got the prophet Isaiah. He prophesied and foretold that God would bring forth a remnant, that is a group of people from Cush, that's in Isaiah chapter 11 verse 11, and a redeemed people bearing gifts to Zion from Cush. That's in Isaiah chapter 18, verses one to eight. In other words, Isaiah looked favorably upon the Cushites. Then there's Zephaniah. 
He proclaimed that from beyond the rivers of Cush, God's people should bring offerings. That's in Zephaniah 3, verse 10. And then the prophet Amos expresses God's concern for Cush in Amos chapter 9, verse 7. Look at what he says. Are you not like the Cushites to me, O people of Israel? In other words, that saying, Amos is telling the uh, northern kingdom, because you know Amos was from Judah, the southern kingdom. He went to the northern kingdom to tell them about themselves because God told him to. He's basically saying to them, yo, y'all know I love y'all the same way I love the Cushites, but y'all are my people. In other words, he's using the Cushites in a favorable, positive light. He's painting them in a positive light saying God loved them, but you don't think he loves you just as much if not more than them? That's truly a cosign for the Cushites. In fact, Africa's involvement in the Old Testament, y'all, it is embedded all throughout God's word. And the continent has played an extremely significant role in shaping God's people. Now, we just talked about Cush being all throughout in the Bible. Here's a few other biblical examples of how Cush and other parts of Africa have been influential to the history of the Bible, particularly the Old Testament. When we read Genesis, it tells us that one of the rivers in Eden ran around the whole land of Cush, and another river encircled the land of Havilah, where you could find gold and onyx and um, beryllium. You read that in Genesis chapter 2, verses 10 to 13. And these products were found back then principally in the area now known as the Sudan, where, as we said before, Nubia and Kush was. So therefore, let's think about this, okay? If the Tigris and the Euphrates rivers are located in Babylonia, then there's a good reason for us to believe that Eden, the Garden of Eden, was somewhere in Africa. Furthermore, we're told that the oldest human remains on planet Earth can be traced back to Africa. You've heard that, right? Have you also heard of the theory known as mitochondrial Eve? You ever heard of that? And again, there is an episode we did in season one with my friend, Reverend Terrence Albritton, where we talked about some of these very things. And he's the one that brought up mitochondrial Eve. We encourage you to go back to listen to that episode from season one. It's entitled Race Matters. But basically, mitochondrial Eve is a theory that says that all humans share a common direct maternal ancestor known as mitochondrial Eve. And she is believed to be a part of a small group of humans who lived in Africa over 160,000 years ago. And mitochondrial DNA is a term given to the cells that are found in our bodies, all of us. And they represent the genetic signature that has been passed from mothers to their children. In other words, when you're born from your mother, you've got this mitochondrial DNA in your body. And all people alive today can trace some of their genetic heritage through their mothers 
back to this one woman in Africa 160,000 years ago. I'm not making this up. This is scientific information I'm giving you. Go look it up. Mitochondrial Eve, M-I-T-O-C-H-O-N-D-R-I-A-L, Eve. Go look it up. And again, if you want more information, email us, we'll get at you. But that's just one aspect. What about Hagar, the Egyptian concubine of Abraham? She was of Egyptian ancestry and she's the only character in the entire Bible who gives God a name. Look at Genesis chapter 16, verse 13. Thereafter, Hagar used another name to refer to the Lord who had spoken to her. She said, you are the God who sees me. That name is El Roy, or the God who sees me. And similar to Abraham, Hagar meets God in the form of an angel and is given a promise that her offspring will become a great nation. You see that in Genesis chapter 21, verse 18. That's a black woman that God is saying that too, okay? Now, when the Israelites settled in the land of Canaan, there were Africans, black people among them. Now, some of them may have left Egypt along with the Israelites at the time of Exodus. Others came with military invaders. Don't take my word for it. Read 1 Kings chapter 14, verses 25 to 28. Read 2 Chronicles chapter 12, verses 2 to 3. Read 2 Chronicles chapter 14, verse 9 to 15. But apparently, an Ethiopian colony was created at a place called Gerar, G-E-R-A-R, as a safeguard between Egypt and Judah. So the Ethiopians became permanent residents in Palestine, and they stayed there until the time of Hezekiah, which is the year 715 to 685 BC. So black people were in Palestine during the time of the Old Testament, living amongst them. Some of them may have been Israelites. It might have been black people that were born there and became Israelites natively. Not only that, but persons of African descent, black people appear to have taken an active role in Israel's social and political life. Wouldn't that make sense if there were black people there, right? Think about the Song of Solomon, right? The bride that is spoken about there. In the very first chapter, verse five, she's referred to as, quote, black and beautiful. She was from Cush. And she was an upstanding woman who had tact and discretion and a high position in the royal court and appeared as a trusted courtier sent to tell David news of Absalom's death, okay? Now, Africans continued to enjoy that royal favor when Solomon married an Egyptian princess. Read about that. 1 Kings chapter 9, verse 16, verse 24. 2 Chronicles chapter 8, verse 11. And y'all know Solomon got down with the Queen of Sheba. Read about that. 1 Kings chapter 10, verses 1 to 13. 2 Chronicles chapter 9, verses 1 to 2. Sheba was an influential black queen who ruled dark-skinned people on both sides of the Red Sea. And it was likely that she came to Solomon to negotiate a trade treaty with him when his navy was growing in their power. And she hit Solomon with some hard questions 
But in the end, she ended up getting with him. Maybe not romantically, and maybe, who knows, maybe she did romantically. But she ended up endearing herself to Solomon and vice versa. Because it was in this black woman that King Solomon, known as the wisest man who ever lived, he found a kindred spirit with somebody that he could talk to freely. Now remember, he's the wisest man who ever lived, but yet he's talking to this black woman and finding a kindred spirit in her. Y'all, that is just but a few examples, but you get the point. Africa and African involvement in biblical times is involved and extensive. And I left out literally hundreds of other references in the Old Testament. So you can go check that out for yourself. But I hear you though. I hear you out there. Because right now some of y'all are thinking, okay, well that's cool, Rev Rob, but what about the New Testament? You quoting all these verses for the Old Testament. What about during the time of Jesus? Where's the evidence for black people's involvement during that time? Well, we got you covered there too, y'all. So find out exactly how we address that question after we come back from the break, my friends. Presenting our all-new audio devotionals entitled A Few Minutes of Faith, biblically-based devotionals geared towards strengthening the daily walk of the believer. A Few Minutes of Faith provides you with a devotional from the Word of God steeped in solid biblical doctrine, all in usually less than five minutes. Think of it as your audio Bible study on the go to help you stay connected to the vine of Christ as you go about your everyday life. Check out A Few Minutes of Faith, available only on PodPoint and on Apple Podcasts. Go to www.podpoint.com backslash Benevolent Faith Ministries and listen now. That's A Few Minutes of Faith at podpoint.com. That's P-O-D-P-O-I-N-T.com backslash Benevolent hyphen Faith hyphen Ministries. Join us. Hey, hey, what's good? It's your man's Pastor Rob inviting you to join us live for our weekly online church services every Tuesday night, 7 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Central, 4 p.m. Pacific. All you got to do is go to www.benevolentfaithministries.online.church. It'll take you directly to the live worship session. If you get there a bit early before service starts, stay and enjoy the fellowship with us and others through our chat system. You can even participate live and chat with our hosts and others during and throughout the service, as well as take notes, download the sermon notes, and request prayer or even join Benevolent Faith Ministries itself. Remember, you can log on at benevolentfaithministries.online.church every Tuesday night, 7 Eastern, 6 Central, 4 Pacific, and we can't wait for you to worship with us. Benevolent Faith Ministries, a virtual church with a real heart for God. Hey, welcome back to Deeper in the Word, my friends, where today's show in honor of Black History Month is entitled Forsaken Influence. And we're discussing the hidden or forsaken contributions of Africans and Africa or black people in and to the Bible. And in our previous segment, 
we talked about the significant references and contributions of Africans to the Old Testament or the Bible. We gave a lot of examples. And it was by no means an exhaustive list of these instances. But again, I'm going to keep repeating it. Go back and look and investigate these things for yourself. Read them for yourself. Don't just take my word for it. And so in this last segment, friends, we want to talk about the New Testament references to Africa and Africans, black people. And we want to debunk the myth that black people were savages who knew nothing about Christ prior to European missionaries arriving at, you know, in the, in the continent in the 15th and 16th centuries. Or how black people didn't know anything about Christianity until the slave trade in the Americas from the 16th to the late 19th centuries. That's all false because again, the truth is that Africa and African or black influence is all up and throughout the New Testament. And again, we're not going to get in depth with it, but I do want to give you a few examples in the little time we have left because I'm already running over too long. But let's go back to the kingdom of Cush that we mentioned in our last segment. Cush was still playing a huge role by the time of the New Testament. A huge role in Christianity. For instance, look at the book of Acts, chapter 8, verses 26 to 39, which talks about the conversion of Candace's Ethiopian treasurer by the apostle Philip. And y'all know that story, right? Philip saw this Ethiopian eunuch treasurer traveling along, struggling to read the book of Isaiah. And Philip was like, do you understand what you're reading? He was like, no, but can you explain it to me? And Philip was like, sure. Philip told him about it, evangelized him, and had him pull over and baptized him in a nearby water body. Okay? But Candace, the queen of Ethiopia, actually Candace was the royal title of the queen mother of Nubia. And remember, we talked about Nubia in our last segment in the area that is now Sudan. It was a powerful African nation. And as you can remember, it was also known as Kush. We talked about that before. And so in the queen's court, queen mother of Nubia, they spoke Greek. So the treasurer who was reading Isaiah, he would not have had a problem reading a Septuagint version of the prophet Isaiah. And the Septuagint is a uh, translation of the scriptures from Hebrew to Latin. And so Philip, the apostle Philip, who was a Greek speaking Jew, he would have easily been able to communicate the gospel to this treasurer because they both knew Greek. And y'all, it was Candace who wielded the real political and military power from her capital city in Moreau, M-E-R-O-E, where her son, served as a religious figurehead. She was really in charge. You know, you always talk about all oh, the men are in charge. She was in charge. He was just a figurehead. And she made gifts to deities on behalf of the kingdom. And the whole reason why Philip encountered that treasurer is because she likely sent her treasurer with a gift to Jerusalem. And her civilization flourished at the highest levels, culturally, socially, and financially throughout her reign. And on two different occasions, her army 
had had it out with the Ro uh, with the Roman army in battle. Now you got to remember, Rome was the Clem de la Clem. They were the biggest bullies on the block back then. And here, her army goes to battle with them. I don't know how it turned out, but the fact that they would even engage Rome means that they was about it and wasn't scared of Rome. Okay? In addition, the influence of Africans in the early church is well known to biblical scholars. Now, they will tell you about these men I'm about to tell you about, but they don't tell you that these men were black that these men were of African descent. And these men that I'm about to name, just a couple of them, because there are many, many, many more. You can look them up for yourself. A lot of these men are central figures to the formation of the church throughout church history. Central. They're known as church fathers. But a lot of people don't know that they were black. Take Clement of Alexandria, C-L-E-M-E-N-T. He lived from the year 150 to the year 215. He was a Christian philosopher and he was desirous. He had a real passion to win pagan intellectuals to Christ. So when people thought they were smart and they were well-educated, he would challenge them in attempts to convert them to the gospel, convert them to, um, to Christianity. He directed a Christian school at Alexandria in Egypt, and he wrote important sermons and devotionals to heathens, as well as Christians, to non-believers and believers, calling for them to live a more perfect life in Christ. You see that in all types of formats today. TV shows with evangelists telling people to come to Christ, he started doing that way back then, okay? Clement of Alexandria, look him up. Then there's Origen, O-R-I-G-E-N. He lived from the year 185 to the year 254. He was a very important biblical scholar and a theologian, and he was someone who became the director of a Christian school when he was 18 years old. And he was one of the finest thinkers one of the most brilliant thinkers in the church for about 300 years. Like a lot of his teachings served as the foundation for other people to learn about the church based on his teachings. He was highly successful in debating Jews and pagans and Gnostics and is in fact credited with destroying Gnosticism. Y'all don't know what that is? Go look it up. We can do a whole show on that. I ain't got time to go into what Gnosticism is. But it's spelled G-N-O-S-T-I-C-S. Okay? But Origen was also a pioneer of biblical criticism. That is a more close study of the manuscripts that make up the Bible. And I told you, I can't stand that. Right? Here it is, a black man that came up with it. And he profoundly influenced the theological thought of people coming centuries after him. Okay? Then there's my guy, Tertullian. Oh, I love me some Tertullian, right? He was one of the first people I ever studied. He was from Africa, black man. Lived from like the year 160 to the year 225. He was a pagan lawyer who converted to Christianity. And he wrote apologetic and theological and controversial books 
related to the, to the Christianity. And he was the first theologian to write in Latin. Okay? So he was instrumental in part to how the Septuagint came apart or came, came to be. And it was Tertullian. Hear me on this. It was Tertullian who created the doctrine of the Trinity, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. He did that. And he also came up with nearly a thousand new words to explain the truths behind Christianity. Go look him up. Tertullian was that guy, okay? Then there's Athanasius. Athanasius, who lived from 296 to 373. He was the bishop of Alexandria and a major theologian and writer. And he was the chief promoter of the doctrine that Jesus was both man and God, which we all believe now, right? He was the main one to start promoting that. And he was the principal opponent of an opposing doctrine at that time, which said that Jesus was a man rather than God. People still say that today. But he was the first person to say that Jesus was both man and God. And even as a very young deacon, he was influential at the Council of Nicaea. But people referred to him as the Black Dwarf because he was a really small guy. And he was repeatedly exiled and persecuted. But his teachings ultimately prevailed at the Council of Constantinople in 381. Influential. And as we close this here, believe it or not, three early popes. Yeah, you heard me right. Three early popes were African. Pope Victor I, who lived from 189 to 199. He popularized Latin as the common language of the church, making more Christianity more democratic and accessible to ordinary people of the time. Then you've got Pope Melchides, who lived from the year 311 to 314, sometimes known as Pope Melchides. He was persecuted prior to his reign as Pope, and he was considered one of the African Christian martyrs who died for the cause. Then you've got Pope Gelasius I, who lived from 492 to 496. And he worked to settle conflicts in the church and promoted popular doctrines that still persist today. And again, I just gave you a handful, okay? We'd be here all day, y'all, going down a list of Africans in antiquity who had a profound effect on Christianity and the Bible. But we encourage you to do that research for yourself. Or again, email us info at benevolentfaithministries.org and we can help you. We'll give you more info and we'll look you up gladly. So as we celebrate Black History Month, y'all, all of us should be extremely grateful to God for the important roles that Black people and Africans and Africa played in the Bible and the early church. Because not only does this promote notions of black dignity and self-worth, self-worth, excuse me, it works to prove that the good news that Christ died and was resurrected was for the redemption of all people of all races and nationalities. And y'all like, duh, no. There are many organizations and groups who will tell you 
that the good news is only for a certain group of people. Okay? Don't believe it. You just heard the opposite. In other words, y'all, the love of God knows no boundaries. You hear it in the scriptures themselves. It says that God is not a respecter of persons. That means that ain't no favoritism, ain't no favored race. We did a we did a whole show or a whole sermon on this called Race Matters a couple weeks ago. That was different than the Race Matters episode I told you about before with Reverend Terrence Aubrey. But basically, it was about race, racial reconciliation and how in the kingdom of God there is no race or creed or we're all one in Christ. And when you read the book of Revelation and it talks about how there was a great multitude of every tribe and tongue, people of all colors, all giving glory and praising God, that shows you right there. The love of God knows no boundaries and the kingdom's open to everybody. So no matter what race you are, we should all celebrate these momentous achievements of Africans of antiquity, of black people from Africa in the Bible, along with the contributions of all other races of, Christ, races of Christians throughout history. Please believe that there is extensive history of Chinese Christians who've made contributions, okay? Just do the research, all right? I'm just saying. We, don't, we need to do this, y'all. We need to understand this so that we can truly affirm the amazing diversity of God's creation and the forsaken influence not only of Africa and black people from Africa, but for all of those whose contributions have been lost to history. Amen? Hey, listen, thanks so much for joining us. Don't forget, you can subscribe and listen to our podcast on Spotify, Anchor, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Radio Public, Pocket Casts, Overcast, on Apple Podcasts, in the iTunes Store, and on iHeartRadio. Also, don't forget, you can find us on the web at benevolentfaithministries.org. Log on now and learn more about our giving partnerships and how you can be the church without the need for any building. And don't forget to join us this and every Tuesday night, 7 Eastern, 6 Central, 4 Pacific for our online church services. Just go to benevolentfaithministries.online.church, create a screen nickname, chat along with us during the service. And if you, again, if you have any questions, comments, you don't like something I said, whatever it is, email us at info at benevolentfaithministries.org. We'll be happy to talk with you about it. Amen? Hey, listen, God willing, we'll catch y'all next time. Holla.